Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. We are here today to put the she in Shelly. Ah, <laughs> I see. <laughs> we have not recorded. I in. see. <laughs> We've not recorded in so long that I don't remember how to do this. Yeah. What We've are not we recorded in so long that I'm weirded out by the amount I can hear my breathing. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2022. Welcome back. My, Hello. My name is Summer Yeager. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. And the thing to know about Joy... Oh, is that what we're doing? <laughs> is, is that I wish I had known. <laughs> Wait, where are we here? Are yeah. we doing Sheologians right now? We're doing Sheologians right now. Um, the thing to know about both of us is that we have been sick. Because it's just that uh-huh. time of year, you guys. Yeah. It's just that time of year. Well, I discovered, as I was telling you this morning, that I have been sick Yeah. since Georgia turned two. You have. And then I just realized that that's what happens. Uh-huh. Your child turns two. Mm-hmm. You you don't have kids and you're like, why are all these people getting sick all the time? Lame. <laughs> I wonder. I don't know. They should just do what I do. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, what I was doing was not having a two year old. It's a very effective way to not get sick. Yeah. And they get, you know, they get older and then they get sweet and they're like, I yeah. just want to kiss you every moment of every day. And how do you say no? And I'm sick and I'm, <laughs> I have no boundaries. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm sick. If you're chronically sick, it's because you have a person who's sick all the time with no boundaries, no boundaries in your life. AKA a toddler. Yep. And small children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, I haven't. I have been not sick. I've really. I'm yeah. Shocking myself mm-hmm. with how many um, illnesses I've been dodging. And then um, every time I am not joking. Every time I get pregnant, I get sick. So that's what's happening. Announcement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, you. anyway, I uh, just the first whenever I don't know. And I actually read that for some reason, when you get pregnant right away, your like immune system lowers. And I, I mean, think it just I think it's just because your body instantly <sighs> goes into growing a placenta and growing yeah. a baby. Right. I think everything's um, a little touch and go yeah until you have that extra organ in there to kind of help man like to kind of tag in it's rough yeah it's rough and then last week we were supposed to record and last week this time (laughs) um joy already knows the story but since i i don't sleep when i'm pregnant um i took unisom which so many people i know so many pregnant women and unisom is their best friend right I know that Unisom and a combination B6. of something else like helps with nausea. Even, yeah, mm-hmm. it's B six Unisom B six. Um, it's a very just universally safe for pregnancy. 
medication. And I was like, well, great. I'm not sleeping. So I'm going to take I some. need Unisom. Um, I had... I had the most severe reaction. Hey, Summer, are you allergic to Unisom? <laughs> I am horribly allergic to Unisom. I not only did I not sleep, I did the opposite. Like, I seriously, I described it as an exorcism because that's what it felt like. <laughs> like, my legs couldn't stop moving. Um, hor- I mean, horrible. Vomiting, s- uh, sweating. I mean, it was truly my body and... I am very, very allergic. So anyway, that's why we didn't record last week. I was this close to going to the ER because uh, I took Unisom. So I'm going to go ahead and not sleep for the rest of this pregnancy. <laughs> I mean, you're open to other alternatives, no. but Unisom is not um, It's not an option I for you, tried as it. we have discovered. I have tried it all. But yeah, I guess... Like, I remember thinking in one of the wee twilight hours as I was vomiting again, like, you know how on medication there's always, like, those warnings? Mm-hmm. And, like, none of them ever happened. Like, I've never taken a Tylenol and started bleeding oh, right. profusely yeah. from my ears or uh-huh. something. Yeah. I was like, me. I am why. Because some people really yes. do yes. have an extreme averse reaction yeah. to very mainstream medication and well and i think i know a few people that have that specific reaction to things that are supposed to put you to sleep that like mm-hmm. i have i have the opposite reaction yeah so like people who take morphine mm-hmm. people who my sister has had an anesthesiologist try to put her to sleep and she's like i'm a, i'm more awake I'm super- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it's fine. Just count backwards. And she's like, mm-hmm. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. <laughs> oh, okay. You're one of those people. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah. Summer takes Unisom and her legs just want to dance all <laughs> dance night. <laughs> all night. And my stomach tries to crawl out of my body. Um. So anyway, we survived. We're here. But it's just been, it's a weird time of year. Yeah. Everybody else is feeling weird too, yeah. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. It just is strange. Yeah. Um. Well, <laughs> unrelated. I mean, related, but unrelated. Sure, yeah. Um. I, well, we're about to kind of embark on. Where we're pulling out a port. Like it's. The episode that we're recording right now and mm. the next how many episodes? <laughs> Eight? Uh, nine. Ten? Nine after this, I think, <laughs> um, is the plan. <laughs> are, here we go. Yeah. We're let's... going on a journey. And I just, I feel like we, it's the start of a, it's our first episode of the year. Yeah. We're going on this, we're doing this thing doing that we thing. haven't done yep. before. Yep. And, um... So I'm, you know, thinking and uh-huh. as we all, I mean, the beginning of the year, the end of the year, this is just a time when people get sick and mm-hmm. when they <laughs> embark, think on their future or <laughs> who knows. Um, and so I guess it just, I was thinking about all this stuff this morning and I was like, what if I wrote this down and just shared it with everybody before we go on this journey together? There we go. Um. And I guess you've heard this here before, but here we go. We really don't have a lot of new material. If you're here for new material, you're not going to get it. Right. So. And the good news is there's not a lot of new things under the sun. 
heard that from a wise source. A very wise man. Um, so I guess before we go on this adventure together and talk about feminism and all this stuff, um, I just want to encourage you guys to be um, joyful and be content. And um, I was, I mean, some of you know, some of you don't know. But um, the topic of uh, death is obviously kind of something that's in the minds of Apologians this week. Right. And um, it was just occurring to me that, like, sometimes we were like, oh, well, I will die when I get old. Mm. Um, And then I was just thinking, even old people don't know which day is their last day. Right. And... As Christians, we are responsible, I guess, Mm -hmm. for our last day being a joyous, content day um, that glorifies God. That as if our last day is not just guaranteed to be faithful. Right. And we should be striving for our last day to Mm -hmm. be faithful. And we don't know which day is our last day. Right. Even if you're old, you don't know that. <laughs> Even if you have made it past certain struggles, certain health stuff, whatever, mm-hmm. um, you don't know which day is your last one. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess don't don't look over your neighbor's fence and don't browse mm-hmm. the blessing catalog <laughs> of other for, people <laughs> for what yeah. um, you dis- you would like God mm. to bless you with. Um, what I'm saying is take what God has given to you and work mightily unto him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't know that there are people that have not been to a lot of funerals. Yeah. Um, my, my dad was a hospital chaplain and very experienced in grief counseling and, uh, I just grew up, he always, if there was a funeral, he took me. Um, I didn't know people shielded their children from right. death. I had no idea that was. Our culture is very shieldy yeah. in that way. We're yeah. very detached and. Um, we don't want to see it. We don't want to think about it. Someone dies and we sort of go into like. Denial. Planning mode. Like how do we keep this pristine and. Clean. and Right. Yeah. And. uh I think that's really crippled a lot of us, that kind of thinking, because, yeah, you don't know. It's coming for all of us, and you need to be completely aware of that. That Mm -hmm. needs to be something that you, I think it needs to be something that you talk about, and that you talk about with your kids, and, um, yeah, because only what's, you know, what's the, only what's done for Christ will last, and you are going to die, and that you, you are, like, it's just not, and man, in the time of COVID, boy, we don't want to. Uh, if, if COVID has revealed anything mm-hmm. about our culture, it's that we don't even think we have to die. Right. In a weird way, we've sort of, like, we've come face to face and people people are talking about the injustice of death, but they don't understand why death feels wrong. Right. Um, and because they hate God... Yep. Death can't exist. Right. Well, and because death is a result of our sin. Right. And it's it's a hard thing to face. That's something too. It doesn't mean that um 
just because death is common and we're all going to do it doesn't mean you're prepared for it. Right. And I can't remember, I was listening to somebody talk about this, but basically just the idea that, you know, when you're in first grade, you are given age appropriate first grade tasks. And then by the time you're in sixth grade, those things that you did in first grade should be easy. Right. Should be very simple for you. And as you get older and older and older, the idea I think that we have in America is that your life should get easier and easier. Whereas you should be able to do more and more. Like you should be able to face more mm-hmm. difficult things, just like you can do more difficult work in sixth grade than you can in first grade. And so by the time you're old, death really is the final boss. It's like your final test. Like how how are you going to face this? Right. How are you going to face this very difficult, you know, and I mean, you're lucky if you face it when you're old because you've had right. lots of years under your belt right. um, to prepare for it. But death is like the hardest thing to face. Mm-hmm. That's the reality of it. Right. And um, you need to be preparing for it right. because you're not just going to wake up on your death day and be ready. Like that's not how it works. Right. Um, if you If you live a life full of fear your last day will be full of fear right because you don't know when it's coming right yeah I tell my kids all the time like listen you deal with this now because it doesn't it's not like you just wake up as an adult and you right all of a sudden have skills that you've never practiced Mm -hmm. that's not a thing no it's just not a thing and so you need to be practicing those skills now and I hope that I'm able to do more and carry more 10 years from now yeah. than I am now. I mm-hmm. hope that I'm just constantly getting stronger and stronger. I, I mean that physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally, like in all kinds of ways. Um, I really think it's been so detrimental for us to think of like, you get old, you retire, you buy a travel trailer and right. you quit life. Play golf. Yeah. You ex- you're excused from yeah. this mm-hmm. really difficult thing, but like, that's, that's not what God, where? Show me in the Bible. Show me in the Bible. <laughs> it's not there. Where you get to just retire from life and have fun and waste your last bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 it's stupid. Anyway, okay, that was late. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just praise God for, especially. I mean, even the people that have come before us, and that includes our friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that after their final day, we could all stand together and just be like praise wow, god how faithful yep. mm-hmm. how faithful yes and that's what you want you want people to say that at, at yes. your funeral that is praise to god right. if at your funeral people stand up and they say praise to god that is worship right of him right so Absolutely. i don't know it just seemed important to say before we start yeah this is a this is a journey we're about to go on <laughs> you guys may not realize it yet <laughs> But it is. Well, I'm going to... Oh, um, hey, book club people. The, the tumblers <laughs> are in the shop. I just want to tell They've you. They've been in there for a while. So some of you have probably found them. But we will admit that when yep. our episode first advertised them, they were not there. We were not. We That was an oversight. The book club tumblers are in the shop. Shopsheologians.com. And if you want to join book club, it's still not too late because we are going to be discussing chapter one of our book this week. So you're not behind. Um, 
And you can join us at patreon.com slash sheologians. We're reading Jerry Bridges' The Fruitful Life. So grab your copy and join us. We had a pretty good sized group in there yeah. last week. Mm-hmm. So And it'll it's gonna be a quick yeah. read. So um if you if you feel like you missed it, we will shortly be starting another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, we're gonna um I'm taking us somewhere we've never been before. Have we ever officially explained what we're doing? We're doing on it- the show. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, <laughs> we say so much. <laughs> we we took December off because we didn't want to waste the feast. Right. So we planned ahead. And uh, then I don't know about you, but I went really hard for Christmas and Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went really hard. Oh, yeah. yes. And maybe that's also why my body gave up. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All that to a say. A few extra servings of banana pudding, a few extra cookies. Oh, no. Going I didn't hard, do that. staying up super late, <laughs> wrapping stuff. And there we go. Yes. No, I did not. I did not have any extra servings, but man, I'm tired. Okay. Anyway, um, we are doing another series on feminism and we were inspired by Fair Sunshine, which you've heard a lot about. If you've been here the last six months, <laughs> um, we had a bunch of people at Fight Laugh Feast in last September, ask us like when we were going to talk about feminism again, mm-hmm. when's our next feminism series. And I don't think, which is so helpful because in our minds we were both thinking, well, we talk about that all the time. We did that already. <laughs> but what you guys meant was a series a s- on feminism again. <laughs> yes. Um. And so, yeah, I don't, it hadn't occurred to me. It hadn't occurred to Sometimes you. Sometimes we think we've covered something. Let us know if we haven't. <laughs> I guess not. Um, <laughs> And so then we started brainstorming, well, how could we possibly cover this again in a way that's actually helpful, beneficial, make use of the time? Uh, And so we decided that one way that we haven't, we've talked about a lot of the ideas inherent in feminism throughout its history. We haven't really spent a ton of time on the people. Mm -hmm. So... We thought we would do character studies on feminists throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been going on for ages, but... Um, the waves. The waves. There we go. And uh, that was a really great foot in the door for me to talk about something that I love talking about. You realized you were already ready. <laughs> I was ready to go. Um, I was super ready. So... We have specifically, when we've done this before, decided to talk about uh, feminism as seen in the country that we live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have to explain why that's enough explanation. Um, <laughs> but the first feminists were not all Americans. Right. Um, and so the we're going across the pond. And I'm going to talk to you guys well the origins of the first wave are really from across the pond yes it's uh but also here's what's really fun for me is that i believe that the early feminists are responsible for the horror genre as we see it today and so i finally get to talk about that which 
I understand is a little niche of a topic, but it's absolutely one of my favorites. <laughs> um, and I think it's fascinating. And I've spent a lot of time reading about this. So, um, And if you don't want to hear it, you can just... Have a nice not. day. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? <clears throat> it's lovely. I am very excited. And here we are. Okay, so... When I was in school and I learned about the Enlightenment, mm. what what it was a good time, right? Because that's what I read. Like I remember reading oh, yes. that the Enlightenment was just a beautiful mm-hmm. time in history. Well, and before that, we were just a bunch of in big the dark. dumb dummies. <laughs> a lot of dummies, as you know. Um. So the Enlightenment, <laughs> uh, was happening very busily. Uh, in the 1700s-ish would be when it really took hold. Um, and some, uh, so Immanuel Kant would be one of the main mm-hmm. people, speakers of the Enlightenment. And he said that it was the process of undertaking to think for oneself, to employ and rely on one's own intellectual capacities in determining how to believe and how to act. So, Pretty much all of all Enlightenment philosophers across the spectrum, of course, they didn't agree with each other on everything, but basically the idea was uh, objective religious truth, bad subjective reasoning that you can do on your own good. So the more I read and I was like, oh, I'm going to really undertake to explain all of this to people so they understand. And then I just thought... Oh, no, no, no. We all understand. Like, you can turn this into a philosophical paper if you want. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, the Enlightenment was the rejection of God on a societal level. Uh, this, of course, coincided with Darwin. This coincided with major technological leaps and bounds. And um, it really stands in opposition to religion, religious thinking, Christianity, obviously, especially. Um, and it's it's faith tenet. Uh, one of them would be rationalism, right? So logical thinking. Talk mm-hmm. to an atheist today. Honestly, they're going to be saying the same things. Um, you may even talk to Christians today. Ah, yes. And they will say <laughs> oh. the same things. Ah, also this, that. I have always... I have always... Um, I'm going to just back up and let you talk after I say this, yeah, yeah. but I have always been interested in doing, I guess, what I called some sort of critical thinking series. Uh-huh. Yes, you well, do. Well, these two... You do these, talk about this. These critical thinking series and the feminism character studies, they are the same series. They're the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Um, this would... You know, during this time, you're going to hear a lot about the the immaturity of just believing in religion, the immaturity of not coming to your own sta- understanding through your own rational thinking, rational, rational. You're going to hear that a lot, right? You talk to an atheist today and they're going to tell you, of course, they believe in the laws of logic. And of course they believe because because you can understand these with your senses. And this was that is enlightenment thinking. It's it's very old, <laughs> very old thinking, by the way. Um, and so, yeah, their their central tenet, their their faith, if you might want to put it that way, is that you progressively become self-directed, 
right? Uh huh. In thought and action as you progressively learn how to use your own intellect and it it creates a more fulfilled human experience. And we are still, I mean, because because here's the deal. You've heard us talk about there's no neutrality, right? It's it's God or man. Like you're gonna worship creator or creation. And everything I'm describing right now is how to worship creation. Um, but of course, it was really interesting that this was happening at a time when all of this technology was advancing. And um, I started reading about Illuminism because oh. when electricity first came around, obviously, it was a it ch- it changed people's lives to the point where we sitting here in these chairs cannot understand a time without it. Right. Like we don't understand a time without it. I, I don't know that any of us, I don't know that you and I have, have witnessed an advance like electricity because every advancement Maybe that we the witness. Internet. Right. But really. Which is thanks to electricity. Right. And, and <laughs> thanks to, and, and depending on how old you are, you may have not at this point we it happened long ago enough that you there are plenty of people listening to this that were not witness right to the internet and like you said it's it's not still not really it it's basically like our version of it but electricity still blows the internet out of the water <laughs> yes <laughs> so all of that to say like this was a time where where if you really wanted to have a lot of hubris about what man was capable of, the fact that we invented electricity would be, I mean, man, we were pretty proud of ourselves. Um, and that's part of why it's called the enlightenment. All those stupid heads using fire before. <laughs> Candles. Dumb. <laughs> Please. <laughs> All right. So at the same time, we're in the mid 18th century. There was a group of women, uh, the aristocrats the aristocratic women, um, and they greatly valued their intellectual life. And they would hold these gatherings. They called them salons, which is just hilarious to me. I mean, it wasn't hilarious to them. It made sense. But like salons, <laughs> I don't, you, y'all met in salons and you felt like you were breaking the mold anyway. I'm imagining <laughs> like the the pink and black 80s salon <laughs> photo, like the stock art that was in Yes. Like ladies with like pointy shoulder pads and Yes. <laughs> okay. So what would happen is so generally back in this time after dinner, the men went and smoked their cigars and had their intellectual discussion while the women had like tea and did their own thing. Well, some of these women were like, nah, not us. We're intellectuals. <laughs> and we're gonna do our own thing. So they would invite scholars to come give lectures at their salon meetings. I know this all sounds so petty because it was. Okay. The fir- one of the first societies to do this ended up being called the Blue Stocking Society because, and this is all anecdotal, this is where the, the Blue Stockings came from. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have heard of Blue Stockings, but I'm telling you right now. This guy, Benjamin Stillingfleet, he was a scholar and he was invited to one of these ladies' salons. I'm just going to point out again how the British always just combine two words. They really do. And turn it into a last name. This is your last name now. <laughs> Stilling Fleet. <laughs> um, 
So he basically was afraid to come to the salon because he said he didn't have the right clothing. And they were like, it's totally fine. Just come in your blue stockings. And so those are those are working man clothes mm-hmm. if you wear blue stockings. So kind of like blue jeans, blue or stockings. Like blue collar. Blue collar. There yeah. you go. Blue, blue, blue. Okay. So all that to say is that's how these became these women became called the blue stockings over time. Because that was a I guess pivotal moment. I don't know. It's weird to me. Okay. So anyway, Mary Wollstonecraft, she was a blue stocking. So she was one of these women who would host these salons and they would have their intellectual gatherings and everything, you know, man, it just sounds so smarmy. Like I'm trying to think of what the uh, today's equivalent would be. And well, even when I did the episode on Margaret Sanger, it's that bohemian, that very like Mm -hmm. intelligentsia, like we have time to sit around and the money to sit around and yes, it's a just kind of indulgent. Yeah, it's a mark of indulgence yeah. that you can do that. Right. And this was for the rich people only. Right. Which is kind of ironic. So Mary Wollstonecraft, she'd been, she was an aristocrat. She, I said aristocrat. <laughs> I would have said it the first time you said it. When you said aristocrat the first time, I was like, I would have said aristocrat. <laughs> I was proud of you, honestly. It like got really switched up in my brain for a second. Okay. Anyway. So Mary Wollstonecraft, she was very famous for doing these, for hosting these salons. She was a blue stocking. Um, and she had been writing for some time. And she, in uh, 1792, had published A Vindication of the Rights of Women, which is now just feminist dogma. I mean, that really kicked off... It really kicked off a lot. Okay. I her, her sway has been huge. However, at the time it really was not that popular. I mean, they weren't feminism was not cool yet. Right. <laughs> Most of the first waivers knew that if they could face some persecution and dirty looks, they would be paving the way. Yes. For well, do we see it now? Yes. We see it now. Okay. <laughs> well, Mary Wollstonecraft she very much attempted to live in line with her beliefs, meaning that she uh, had an affair and had children out of wedlock and couldn't take care of them. Uh, she asserted that no motive whatsoever should compel a man and a wife to live together a moment longer than they felt like it. So she had an affair, had a daughter named Fanny, and then she meets this guy named William Godwin. Now, William Godwin. Man, if you said his name back in the day, <laughs> like back in the 1780s, <laughs> people would be like, ooh, you know William? Okay. Mm. He was another Enlightenment thinker who, I mean, just think of like, imagine if all the free love hippies lived in the 1700s. That's what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Marriage, bad. Liberation, good. I mean, that is honestly... Let's not make it sound more smart than that because right. it just wasn't. All right. Well, Mary Wollstonecraft, she's already got this daughter. She's not with the dad back then. That was not good. Uh, she ends up hooking up with William Godwin and she gives birth to another daughter 
named Mary Shelley in 1797, and she unfortunately dies two weeks later. So now the famed William Godwin is left with both of Mary Wollstonecraft's daughters, um, and things were bad. Okay, <clears throat> I'm. I want to focus on Mary Shelley. Um, most of you don't. You know her because she wrote Frankenstein. Yeah, that's what you know her for. Um, she was originally Mary Godwin, and she grew up without her mother, obviously. But William Godwin, uh, by the time his daughter Mary was a teenager, was starting to fall out of favor because what happened was the French Revolution went really bad. And a lot of his ideas and Wollstonecraft's ideas were very apparent in the French Revolution. And I don't know if you guys know a ton about the French Revolution, but we're going to get into it a little bit more here. Um, but it was very bloody. Um, and as revolutions often are, uh, and a lot of people died and it really started with the idea that love should be free and that man should be free to do as he pleases. Do we have to say much more about that? Okay. (laughs) We've been, as a, as a human race, we've been really doing this for quite a while, haven't we? (laughs) Quite some time. So, have you heard of Percy Shelley? I have. Okay, so he was a poet. Mm-hmm. He was obsessed with William Godwin. I mean, just absolutely obsessed with William Godwin. And he actually traveled to William Godwin's home and basically became his student and was like, hey, I want to learn. He was 18 at this time, by the way. Um, he already had a wife. Keep hold of that. Um And he basically was like, hey, I want to learn from you. I want to, revolution is good. Let's make it happen again. We need to change society. Your ideas are so beautiful. Um, And of course, very, very soon, his attention was focused on Godwin's daughter, Mary. Like I mentioned, he was still married to his first wife. um, And that was really bad for her because shortly Percy and Mary both fled England together. They were also, they didn't flee alone. They took her sister, Jane. um, And basically, what was William Godwin going to do? They were living exactly as he had said he, people should live in his books. Um, Free love, essentially. uh, Liberation. Don't get married. And this young man ran off with his daughter, and uh, he was not pleased, but what could he say? Because they were living up to the ideals that he had been espousing forever. Um, it was not a good time. All right, so that was in 1814 or 1815, and by the time she was 21 in 1818, she had written Frankenstein. She had done it while they were traveling around Europe. Um, they obviously struggled financially. And here's the deal is if you if you go online and read about this time that they were traveling Europe, um, what you're going to read. Because uh, Lord Byron was a part of their travels mm-hmm. as well. Um, other famous authors at the time. Um, Lots of famous poets at the time, of course. Yes. They all were kind of huddled up. Um, uh, writing. And like I said, if you read about it online, it's like, oh, they had this just wonderful writer's retreat. But the truth was, um, I think 
I can't remember. I think it was a volcano had spout off uh, that year. Wait, I'm sorry. Where are they? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're in Europe. Okay. But a volcano um, somewhere, I think, in Eastern Europe had okay. like spout off and basically just blown ash over all of Europe. And like you couldn't go outside and have a nice time. So one of the reasons why they were huddled up inside all that summer mm. was because you couldn't breathe <laughs> if you went outside. I'll add that to the list of things I cannot relate to that are in this story. <laughs> I also cannot relate to that. Um, so they were all huddled up inside and her beau, you know, she couldn't marry Percy because he was still married to the girl back in England. Um, but they and I'm were... sure life was going wonderfully for his previous wife. It was great. It was wonderful for her. Um, they all decided to just act on their perverse sexual urges. And there was a lot of fallout, as you could imagine from that. Hmm. Um, it didn't... The, the ideas of free love sound great. And then you try to live them out and it goes horribly. But if you just repackage it for public schools and teach it in a glowing way no it's, one will ever know that it's fine it's they fine. won't know about all the syphilis that's right <laughs> that's where the story dracula came from <laughs> anyway i'm not joking okay <laughs> so as they're doing as they're going about and um spending this summer inside being disgusting and writing ghost stories um mary shelley had read about this french guy galvani's experiments where he'd basically hooked frog legs up Oh, okay. That you know, guy. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He and he would make the he would animate, right, the frogs mm-hmm. using electricity, right, which was just like mind blowing at the time, mm-hmm. like that you could do something like that. Um, and if you know the story of Frankenstein, it becomes very clear where she got the idea yeah. of digging up body parts and basically reanimating a person mm-hmm. uh, through electricity with the use of electricity. Well. Um, let's just say this time was not a beautiful writer's retreat as her sister soon killed herself because of how awful everything was. Um, she had, she would report, uh, having horrible nightmares because they were constantly holed up telling each other ghost stories and also being sexual perverts. So her sister kills herself. A short time after that, Percy's wife kills herself. Oh my gosh. Um and Mary and Percy Shelley were finally able to get married. That happened in December of 1816. But Mary Shelley felt super awful. I mean, she felt guilty. She felt horribly guilty. I yeah. mean, these yeah. women all around her are dying and in part, you know, obviously their suicides are not her fault, but her actions directly contributed. Right. To the horrible things happening in their life. And she felt super guilty, but she's rejected God. So what can she do with her guilt? It's not like she can repent because everything that she had been living and all the men in her life had been encouraging her to live would not allow for anything to actually be done with the guilt. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess she would just like run to the next pleasure. Well, yes. Like most people do. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Marquis de Sade said, and he was oh. he was uh, important in the French Revolution, he said that whenever he felt guilty, he would commit an act twice as monstrous. Uh, and this is because guilt not dealt with 
tends to lead to even more monstrous behavior because you have to cover it up and cover it up Mm -hmm. and cover it up. And uh, that's, I think if you read a breakdown of Frankenstein that doesn't view the monster as the guilt, I don't think you understand Mary Shelley. Yeah. I don't think you understand what's going on here. The monster is just a, for for me, and um, E. Michael Jones says this, he's written a really good book on this called Monsters from the Id. He, he, would, he says that the monster is a way of dealing with the problem that you can't admit is a problem. And Mary Shelley couldn't admit any and of the problems she had. She ended up having, I think she buried three children. They all died. And the problem was, is she knew, she felt like it was a punishment, but she couldn't say that because there is no God. Right. Right. You've rejected God. You can't admit the things that you've done are wrong. You can't think in moral oughts or even in rights or wrongs. What are the children that died? They shouldn't mean much. Right. Like they don't exist anymore. Right. So there was nothing she could do. With... In order to be consistent, she just had to sort of pretend this overwhelming turmoil did not exist. Right. Which seems like it would be impossible. Right. And of course, the turmoil wasn't just that there, you know, she buried three children, um, but there was constant adultery in the right. marriage because they were living out the ideals. Yeah. Um, well, and just to make themselves feel better, committing an act twice as horrible. Right. Right. Um, so all that to say, uh, reading about her life is is pretty depressing, but it does it does give you an idea of what Frankenstein was. And I also think why Frankenstein has been as popular as it has for so long. So for those of you that yeah. don't know the story, uh, I'm not going to give you an entire breakdown of Frankenstein, but essentially this doctor scientist creates a monster who ends up haunting him for the rest of his days. Um, The monster isn't really at fault for being a monster, but the creator of the monster is at fault for creating it and not doing anything about it. Um, The monster is the guilt. It's the guilt of the enlightenment where every human being knows that they they need to be justified. But if you've denied that gods exist, you can never confess and repent. You can never receive right. forgiveness um, for what you've done. You can't even admit that you've done wrong. Mm-hmm. That's the position that her father, William Godwin, was in when his daughters were essentially stolen from him. Right. He couldn't admit that he didn't like that. He couldn't admit yeah. that that was wrong. Well, and since we've created this enormous vocabulary that sort of seems like we've we've allowed people to admit moral yeah. wrong, or, but we haven't. It's right. not changed. Right. So, um, okay, so yeah, their marriage was awful. Lots of adultery. Lots of heartache. Um, the death of children. They did have one son. Uh, to live to adult adulthood. They named him Percy. And then in 1822, Shelley drowned. Not Mary Shelley. Sorry. Percy Shelley. He drowned. That's right. Um, he loved to go fast, like literally speed, like fast, mm-hmm. quickly. Um, and a storm was coming off of um, the coast of Spain. I think it was a place called Spezia. Um and he just lifted all his sails 
and just went really fast and drowned. Um, and he was very young. This was only in 1822. Um, so, Basically, oh, the Gulf of Spezia. I wrote it down. Why didn't I? Anyway. <laughs> so Mary Shelley spent the rest. The only reason. Here's the deal, too. The only reason you've heard of Percy Shelley is because Mary Shelley spent the rest of her life trying to popularize his work. She absolutely she didn't die until 1851. So for a solid 30 years. After he died, I mean, she really spent her adulthood. She didn't do a ton more writing herself. The writing that she did was to bring attention to his writing. And another interesting thing to note about that is that for most of her life, people thought that he wrote Frankenstein. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just kind of interesting the way um, the patriarchy seems to have won that one. Anyway, um, she sadly died of brain cancer in 1851 and she was only 53 years old um but just some so these these are the real proto-feminist ideals and some things to keep looking for and I think important to look for in our own time um is that revolution always leads to the breakdown of the moral order and then what happens once the moral order is broken down is a lot of bloodshed that is how this is inescapable. This is how God designed the world. Uh, it's Christ or chaos, truly. Mm-hmm. We don't get to reconstruct it. And so the French Revolution, right, it, there was a total collapse of the moral social order, reject family, reject God, reject religion. And the next thing you knew, people were killing each other in the streets because that is what that's what happens. So. I would say that this that horror as a genre, and I'm not talking about contemporary horror, which knows what it is and kind of makes fun of itself and is just bloody for the sake of being bloody. Right. I'm talking about horror as, as a genre, which was really, I think, kicked off by Mary Shelley, by Frankenstein, by what she experienced, is it almost is ambivalent about what it is. And it, it's an apology. I think it's an apology. Um, I think that Frankenstein was her monster that she couldn't admit was a monster. I think it was her guilt that she couldn't admit was guilt. She had nothing to do. She couldn't do anything with her guilt because she'd rejected God, rejected religion. Um, And essentially, you have this scientific creation in the monster, right? He is animated. He's illumined by science. Man makes life and it turns out that it doesn't work. When man tries to create something in the place of God, horrible things happen. That's the story of Frankenstein. This is her admitting that man is not God. Man cannot use science to create life and have everything go well. In fact, it goes very poorly. And so one thing I love about horror as a genre is even though it is ambivalent about what it's admitting, it doesn't care that it's admitting guilt, um, is that every good horror movie ends or horror novel like Frankenstein, um, ends with the, with, ends with some kind of admittance. It ends with some kind of self-sacrifice. 
You've never seen or read a good, scary book that didn't involve self-sacrifice at the end. And in that way, it's a rejection of the Enlightenment, whether it realizes it is or not. Because the Enlightenment is all about self, the building up of self. Um, you know, you are self-created, you are self-knowing, whatever. And then in the end of all good horror movies, you have self-sacrifice. You have the rejection. You have the religious person who is able to defeat the monster. Why? Because the religious person knows God. And that happens all the time over and over and over. Um, I'm not, I guess, <laughs> I guess it wouldn't be a spoiler alert if I told you how Frankenstein ended. <laughs> Given <laughs> You've had plenty of time you to read it. Plenty of time to read Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> But you see that theme happen in the end of, of Frankenstein as well. Mm. There's there's a very clear admittance that man should not be trying to take over what God has done. Uh, and in that way, I think that feminists are responsible for creating the horror genre. And, uh, man, I could just talk about this for a long time, but I won't because it's super nerdy. Um <laughs> e. Michael Jones, his book on this, if you're interested, I think is the absolute best. It's not super easy reading. Um, he also did an episode on Canon Calls. Oh, yeah, that's right. Talking about this that was really interesting, and uh, he does a lot better job than I do. Um, but, you know, so at the end of the day, I think as you and I embark on this journey, mm -hmm. so just something to remember, I think a lot of times we get caught up in wanting to be the blue stockings that like really understand the deep intellectual thoughts of the aristocrats in society or whatever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, whether we're talking about mysticism or feminism or atheism or any of the isms, when you tear it all down and get to the drywall and the studs and what's underneath, um, it's just worship of creation. It's just a rejection of God. And you can like, <laughs> you can make it sound however intellectual that you want. But the more I read about like what enlightenment thinkers thought, I was like, oh, that's just, that's just creation worship. Right. And like, oh, look, some more creation worship. Um, and one thing I think that the horror genre does really well, um, and no, I'm not talking about like any movies that have been made in the last 20 years. Uh, the real original horror genre does really well is that it points that out because over and over when it comes down to good versus evil, um, it's never the monster that wins and it's never in, in the good stories, um, the stories that have lasted throughout time. It's not science that saves us. That's actually one thing I really hate about current horror as a genre is that it keeps trying to make films and novels where the science saves us mm -hmm. and it's so not believable like it's just it's why it's not even good anymore because that's we all know that's not how it works um when the world needs to be saved it's done through self-sacrifice and those are the stories that really speak to people because we all know that that's true mm -hmm. um and i think the further we get away from that the worse storytellers we become now i'm really i'm going yeah. down okay and some people have kind of masked that by just creating things that are bizarre or right or they just repeat what right has been done but right so anyway uh feminism is really bad and 
it's just a rejection of God and a cover up for guilt. <laughs> and that's also what the horror genre is. And never watch a horror movie that doesn't end with self-sacrifice because it's lying to you. The end. Call it out as a bad story. It's bad. That's it's right. bad. It is bad. Nah, not worth your time. <laughs> but you are recommending Frankenstein. I like Frankenstein. Yeah. It, now, now that I know what it is, mm-hmm. man, if you just like go read about Mary Shelley or Frankenstein in most places, you're not going to get the whole story. It's really whitewashed. That's, I think you're going to basically every single one of these in this series, you're... I, I've already, we're realizing this, Mm -hmm. that a lot of the way some of this stuff has been portrayed is also very secular and it is done to sort of bolster everything that you just talked about, which is the fact that we, it's It's a rejection of God and we don't want to admit that. Right. It's a rejection of God. And we definitely, I mean, man, when I started reading about the enlightenment as an adult, I was like, what do you mean? Well, and especially when you have that what stand by what standard (laughs) okay so like all these people are getting together and they're undeniably smart and some of them are probably making legitimate observations about human behavior right but according to who right according to what right no we have we have this idea that the the first wave of feminists we've been saying this for a long time because it's really upsetting and it's just really untrue but we have this idea that the first wave of feminists were just really nice old ladies who wanted voting rights. And that's not true. Mm-mm. It's not true. No. Yes, they wanted voting rights. Why? Because they wanted to destroy the social order. Because they hated marriage. Because a lot of them hated men. Because some of them wanted to be men. I mean, there was a lot. They were not nice old ladies wearing funny hats. And we, I mean. <laughs> they might have been wearing funny hats, yeah. but. But when you read about their lives, it's like, it's actually sad. It's just tragedy after tragedy. When you read about their lives, it's actually not that easy to find realistic portrayal of their life Mm -hmm. because they have been so... Whitewashed. Yes. And they're, because now they're considered heroes. Right. So their story has been rewritten and stripped of all the degradation and all the suicide and like... Yeah. Of anything that would actually show you, like, here is the logical conclusion of living right. as a law unto yourself. Right. And people are going to ask, well, where can I read the real history? Honestly, the only place you can read the real history is going to be if you read them in their own words. True. Very true. And yes. the problem with doing that is that it's really difficult reading. And there's where the critical thinking series comes in. Yeah. Um, you have to read them in their own words. Uh, letters. It's hard to do. Like I said, mm-hmm. how do I know that Mary Shelley felt really guilty um, because of her personal letters? Yeah. It's not because if you go like Google her right now, it's going to be this really just like oh, she was a and, hero and they summered and wrote poetry. And it's just like, <laughs> mm, no, that's not. No, there was a volcano. <laughs> Was it a volcano? I really should have looked into the that earth, more. The earth opened up and spit fire and lava during this time. Does that sound like a curse? I, I know it was ash. Mm. So like, what was a volcano? I read that little detail and I was just like, oh man, everything was ashy outside. And then I forgot about it. So anyway. Anyway, I can't tell you where to read about that because I already forgot where I read it. <laughs> so that's it that's 
happy Monday. <laughs> I don't. How do we end these? I don't remember. You can leave oh, us a what voicemail. Do we, oh, there you go. <laughs> 470-465-0475. There you go. Is that the right number? Mm-hmm. Okay. The code word for this episode is Aristocats. <laughs> <laughs> I only accept Aristocats gifts to be sure that you actually there we go. heard this as well. So yeah, that's it. I can't wait to hear your story. Next week. Next week. And leave us a voicemail and we'll see you then. See ya. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence. That the Lord, He is God, it's He who made us, and we are His, we are His people, the flock of His fold, because Oh